we are picking it up now in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Just a few chapters left now in Matthew. We've been going through the whole book, two-year process. <laughs> Uh, one verse at a time, studying the message of Jesus. We're now in the final week of Jesus' life. He comes in on, you know, that great uh, Sunday we call Palm Sunday. Everybody's celebrating his arrival. When he gets there, first thing he does is he trashes the joint, <laughs> knocking all over the temples and stuff, the tables in the temple, all the money changers. And then he starts speaking. And the Bible does quite a bit, the gospel does quite a bit. There's several chapters now. It's all just about what happens in that week. You know, we've been covering three and a half years of his life, three years of his life. Now we're back, we're down to now just this one week and a fair amount of time of the things that he said and did during this week. Now, he would come and he would preach and teach during the day. And then he would take off uh, at night with his disciples and uh, come back and teach again the next day. And uh, some of the things he said were very provocative. Um... He really got in the face of the religious leaders of the day. Um, he's already been doing it. It's going to get worse. <laughs> we won't quite get to it today, but he's, he really gets in their face. They hated him with a passion and desperately wanted to kill him. They already had decided to kill him. It was a done deal. They're just trying to figure out how are we going to pull this off. They were afraid to arrest him during the day because the people would get crazy and riot. Very emotive people, very... To this day, in the Middle East, you get a crowd riled up, and it's like, yikes. Um, and certainly this way, 2,000 years ago, no way were they going to come during the day with all these people listening to him and liking what he had to say and arrest him. They were afraid of the people. So their only chance was to try and get him in the evening. Well, he'd always leave in the evening, and they didn't know where he went. It's not like they had GPS tracking systems, so they just had no idea where he was. Uh, and then finally, Judas comes along. And he betrays Jesus. If you've never, never been quite sure what it meant by his betraying him, all he did was he came to the religious leaders and said, I know where he is. That was the betrayal. That's all they needed to know. Where is he? And they came in and they grabbed him in the middle of the night, brought him in, uh, had a trial in the middle of the night, which was illegal actually, but they did it anyway. And before his, any supporters could respond, they were crucifying him on the cross. So, uh, anyway, so this is the final week. And uh, he's interacting, teaching the people, and really getting confrontational with these religious leaders. And it really gets real intense in a little bit. So he's already been in their face. We pick it up at verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They wanted to set him up for failure. They wanted him to say something. You know, what can we do? They were the most intelligent well-educated men of their day. And they had to come up with a plan to, to, to bring trouble to him. And they thought they finally figured it out. We have the answer. Now at the time, Israel is under an occupying army, the Roman army, the Roman citizens. They are under the thumb of the Romans. They are making their lives miserable. They hated the Romans with a passion. They were constantly rebelling against the Romans. Um, eventually, it's like 60, 70 years after Jesus uh, is crucified. The Romans have it up to here with them. And they send in the army and they just absolutely decimate Jerusalem. That's why Jesus, when he, before he came into the city, he, he looked and he wept. The Bible says he wept. Look, he said, boy, if you guys only knew the trouble that was coming. Uh, but they wouldn't listen. 
And uh, Jesus foresaw this terrible destruction that was coming. But they, this, this tension between Israel and Rome was intense. It eventually, I mean, they just killed them by, they just wiped them out. A history, just if you want to just Google it and read about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, they encircled the city, were killing everybody. They, everybody that would try to leave the city, they'd grab and they would crucify them. They said the city was just covered with crosses. They ran out of wood of trying to crucify all the people. Uh, they, it was brutal what they did to them. Anyway, they hated the Romans. And uh, so they thought, well, the one thing they hate the most about the Romans is paying taxes, which many of us can relate to. <laughs> we don't like paying taxes. At least we're paying taxes to our own country. As psycho as they are, we're paying to those guys. But, you know, we deserve this. We vote these psychos in. And then we got to live with the mess. So um, as irritating as it is, you can imagine when you have to pay taxes to some other army that's not even from our country, paying to some other country. There's taxes for local things, but then there was tribute taxes they had to pay to Caesar, went straight to Rome, and they hate it. So they thought, well, we're going to trick him about asking a question about paying taxes. It's a political question. If you can suck him in with a political question, we got him. Uh, which everybody has political opinions. I have political opinions. I'll spill them every once in a while. Most people know what I think. It's just what I think. It doesn't really matter. Every, we all have our opinions. At Celebration Church, it is not a focal point for us. This is not about politics. We have Republicans here. We have Democrats here. We have independents. We have crazy people here. And we have a whole bunch of people who don't know what's going on at all. All right? So, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. This is not about politics. We're here to communicate with God and, and, and support each other. So anyway, they come up with this political question. So they sent their disciples, it says in verse 16, to him along with the Herodians, these other guys came with him, said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Okay, well, they're lying. They hate what he's saying. They can't stand his guts. They're basically coming and just kissing up. You know, oh, you're such a wonderful man of God. Oh, yes, we love you. And then they go on and say, and you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Other translations say, you don't care about the opinions of others. They praise Jesus because he didn't care what other people thought. I'm convinced a lot of Christians wouldn't like Jesus if he were around today because they get really mad when the people in charge don't listen to what they think. Which, by the way, we all think things, okay? Just Stay calm, all right? If we don't always agree on everything that happens in the church. And of course, whenever something goes wrong, everybody's convinced everybody thinks like them. Well, chances are they don't. And uh, just relax a little bit, okay? It, it'll be fine. A lot of the things that people get upset of are very small, insignificant matters that they seem to make of life and death. You know, people get mad at me because I don't care what they think. When they praise Jesus for you're great because you don't care what people think. So whatever, one way or the other. So they came in, they're kissing up to him. And then they say to this, tell us then, you wonderful, brilliant man. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? And they're giggling, thinking, ha, we got it. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought to him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is on this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Now, this is one of the next phrases that Jesus said. It's one of the most famous things that Jesus ever said. Most people know 
what little they know about Jesus know a few things that he said. This is one of them. Probably the biggest one is, uh, you know, give to others as you would have them, or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's called the golden rule. Everybody knows the golden rule. It wouldn't surprise me if most people didn't even know who ever said the golden rule. You know, but it's just, you know, Jesus is the one who said that. And here's one of the other famous things that Jesus said, and that is this. So he answers to them, after looking at whose picture's on this coin, he says, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And the Bible says when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and went away. So Jesus basically lays out the premise here that we're in this earth. And when we're in this earth, we're part of the system. You know, nobody likes paying taxes. Certainly they hated it, particularly in their situation. But nobody likes it. I don't like it. Uh, It makes you crazy because they use our taxes in terrible, inefficient, stupid, moronic, incredibly dumb ways. But yet, we are obligated to pay our taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, And the other part that he slammed them with is give to God what is God's. Now, they had been taught, since they were knee-high to a grasshopper, that they should give a tenth of their income to God. So he's basically saying, look, you hypocrites, give Caesar's what Caesar's, give God's what's God's. And uh, I'm sure they didn't like either version of it. And they just went wild. They couldn't trap him. So they went away. Now, that same day, and a lot of this, remember, is all in just a few days before he's crucified. That same day, the Sadducees come to see him. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There might have been a couple other little religious sects along the way, but it's kind of like their version of denominations, you know, like the Baptists and the Catholics and the whatever. And so, well, the two main ones in the Jewish uh, religion at, the, at that time were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees got along because they both agreed on the importance of obeying the law of Moses. They were real sticklers. They were actually, they overdid it. Jesus criticized them for overdoing it. They were so such nitpickers. He said, you guys are missing the point. They're so, you know, into the details and the weeds and everything and getting so, they're just making people's lives miserable with all their technical interpretations of God's rules. But uh, as if the rules weren't tough enough, which they are, but they made them even worse. And the Sadducees agreed right along with them. They enjoyed that. But what made them different is uh, the Sadducees, for some bizarre reason, did not believe in life after death. They think when you're dead, you're dead. And that was the end of it. They didn't believe in the resurrection or any of that stuff. The Pharisees obviously did. And uh, they were the largest group. The Sadducees were a smaller group. But these are, you know, the intellectual pinheads who think they figured everything out and I don't know, we don't believe in there's life after death, you know. And you see, we got people like that to this day, you know. They'll say things like, well, I, I believe heaven is here on earth. If this is your vision of heaven, it must really bite to be you. Because this is not a very lovely deal. This is no heaven. You know, life is hard. You ever notice that? It has its moments of heaven, but boy, there's a lot of hell that goes on as well. A lot of tough things. This is a tough life. The good news is we all get to die. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Sounds a little morbid, but that's the good news. We get out of here. Uh, so uh, they didn't believe in, in the uh, life after death. And they come up with their little questions. And, and by the way, I always watch out for pinheads who come up with, you know, little trick questions. Always trying to figure out. Always Some people ask the dumbest questions like, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? 
Really, this is your big question in life. You know, don't, don't, don't even engage these people. When people ask you a stupid question, I can just let them go, blather on to somebody else. <clears throat> but uh, so anyway, these guys were coming. They figured out, aha, we have the trick question. Because their deal was the resurrection. And uh, we're going to embarrass Jesus here. We're going to prove to him there is no resurrection. So they come to them with this question. Verse 24. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. <clears throat> now, this is a real creepy rule that uh, they had back in the Old Testament. For whatever reasons, we don't need to really get into it. But the rule was, uh, and they believed it because they were real sticklers for the law of Moses, that if your brother is married and he dies and his wife hasn't had children, now you got to take her and have children for your brother in your brother's name. Creepy. But that was the rule. For whatever, it doesn't really matter. Just as, now, how often this ever happened, who knows? I, I would assume it would have been pretty rare. <clears throat> but they came up with their little story. So they said, so that's the rule. So they come up, verse 25, says, now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. <clears throat> and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. Well, the same thing happened to the second one. He kicks the bucket. And then the third brother has to marry her. And uh, he kicks the bucket. Now the fourth brother's got to marry her. He dies, and the fifth brother's got to marry her. He dies, the sixth brother, and finally the seventh brother. Good grief, if I'm the seventh brother, I'm like, man, I don't want to marry this chick. <clears throat> Everybody marries her, winds up dead. <laughs> you know, the black widow. <laughs> the angel of death. Hello, hello, you know. You're all back into this angel of death, you know, with a big sickle or something. I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> so anyway, this creepy chick that, that <laughs> probably has health issues or something. I don't know what the deal is. <clears throat> She's killing everybody she touches. And then verse 27, uh, finally the woman dies. You know, thank God. So uh, <laughs> everybody dies. Good grief. It's really a funny story when you think about it. It reminds me of the joke of the, of the lady who had three husbands who died. And a guy said, well, how'd your first husband die? She said, uh, he died eating poison mushrooms. Go, oh, that's awful. How did, the, how did the second husband die? Well, he died from eating poison mushrooms. Wow, what happened to the third husband? Well, he died from a blow to the head. What happened? He refused to eat the poison mushrooms. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> so anyway, he's dead. Okay, everybody's dead now. So they're trying to come up with a, a trick scenario is the deal. So they ask him this question. Finally, the woman dies. Now, at the resurrection, which they didn't believe. See, they were being mocking when they said this. And everybody knew they didn't believe it. So, you know, they were being openly mocking to him. They were the Sadducees. At the resurrection, which they don't believe. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven? Since all of them were married to her. We got him now, you know. And Jesus says... You guys don't know what you're talking about. Which is, in essence, what he says. You're in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Now, you don't know what you're talking about. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels of heaven. In other words, there is no marriage in heaven. Now, depending on your particular situation, that's a little sad or really good news. <laughs> You 
you're not, the good news is you're not stuck with each other for eternity. <clears throat> Your marriage would be hard, but at least you're going to die. All right, so then you're able to move on. So now this whole idea of that we'll be married forever, we'll be together throughout eternity is nonsense. It's amazing how many Christians think this because they don't know the Bible. That's what he was yelling at the, the Sadducees. God, you guys don't know what you're talking about. There is no marriage in heaven. We have it here. That's it. And then he addresses the smart aleck comment about the resurrection, which he knew they didn't believe in. He said, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And of course they had because they loved quoting those verses. And he points out that God is, the God of the, is not the God of the dead, but of the God of the living. When God came around and saying that is because these people are still alive with him. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So he basically, he smacks down the Pharisees, and then he smacks down the Sadducees. And then it goes on from there, and it uh, pretty quick here, he gets really intense with these guys. And then he starts talking about the last days. So some of you guys who like that whole thing, what's going to happen in the last days? Hang on, we're getting there. And he spends a, a great deal of time all in this final week talking about all of these things. Now, let me shut this for just a minute and change the channel on you just for a second and just give you a little word of exhortation. Exhortation means to build up and to encourage. Now, um, when you know someone's having a problem, you go to that problem, to that person, and you help them with that problem. When as a pastor, you hear lots of people throughout all our campuses having the same problem, that's when you need to talk. And I just want to encourage, I've heard a lot of people who are struggling very much in their lives, either because of their jobs or because of their marriage or because of this, and you're all miserable. Listen to me, escuchame, okay? Listen. The Bible teaches us that we are to be content and satisfied and happy no matter what our circumstances. Paul said it this way. He says, I have learned the secret. You know that scripture where it says, I can do all things through Christ? Everybody loves that verse, right? Oh, I can do all, like I can go conquer the world. That's not the context of that verse. There's, con there's verses that talk about being able to do anything, but that's, that's a misquote of that verse. Whenever I can do all things through Christ, I can change the world. That's not what he's talking about. Just before he says that, those words, he says, I've learned the secret, and that is this, to be content no matter what my circumstances, whether I'm hungry or whether I am starving, whether I have lots or whether I've got nothing. I've learned the secret. I can do all things. All things he's talking about is it doesn't matter how much life bites, I can still be happy. That's what that verse means. And the Bible clearly tells us that God will never allow anything to happen to you that you cannot handle. Do not ever let come out of your mouth any more than you would curse God to his face. Do not ever let the words come out of your mouth that say this, I can't take it anymore. Because when you do that, you're calling God a liar. Because God said, I will never allow you to be given stuff that you can't handle. When you say, I can't take it anymore, you are being a narcissistic, self-centered little brat. And you are insulting God. Well, Pastor, my life's hard right now. I get it. We all struggle. That's why we're here and we encourage each other. But to say that this is more than you can handle is an extreme thing. You're being selfish and you're, and you're insulting God. Stop it. I can't be happy because I got this terrible job. I hate this stupid job. Look, you might hate your job. Well, let's pray and trust God to get a new job. Let's look for another. You can always improve your situation. No one says you have to settle for your miserable circumstances. We can help you improve 
your circumstances, but you get into this thing where you can't be happy because of such and such, you will always be a victim in your life and you are not doing what God is calling you to do. I can't be happy because my husband's just an idiot. I don't care, care if he is a moron, all right? I don't care if you married the wicked witch of the West, all right? Don't tell me you can't be happy, you can. The minute you say that I cannot be happy until something changes, you are in error and you are insulting God and you're being, I'm telling you, some people are going to be really embarrassed on judgment day. When they try to explode, right in front of them are going to go people who have been tortured for their faith, who have been persecuted, who have suffered great. There's people around the world because they are Christians suffering like you can't imagine right now. In the Middle East, Egypt, all kinds of plus, they're killing them. All terrible things, but yet they serve God with joy in their face. And these people are going to go before God, and then it's going to be your turn, and you're going to explain to everybody why you couldn't be happy because your husband wouldn't pick up his underwear. Really? This is what you want to do? You can't be happy because he doesn't meet the emotional needs of my heart. Really? I can't be happy because I work for a jerk. Pastor Lathan might say that. But uh, <laughs> you, you can't go there. You can, but you're going to be really embarrassed. I'm telling you, some people are going to be mortified when they consider their circumstances with everybody else in the world and the stuff they let that drove them crazy. Listen to me as a person of faith. I get it. You might be miserable in your job. Let's trust God. You might be miserable in your health. Let's trust God in your health. You might be miserable with your marriage. Come, we'll give you help. We'll work you through it. But don't ever say, I can't take it anymore. Because that is a lie. And you're calling God a liar. God will never allow you to handle more, get more than you can handle. He will always protect you in this situation. What you have to learn is you've got to learn, I can be happy right now, no matter what my circumstances. And that's the key to Christianity. My wife and I learned this early on in our lives. There were times where things were great. There were times where things were horrible. There were times where we had money. There were times when we were so broke, we had to look up to see how the poor people lived. You know, we had nothing. There were times where we were sick, cancer, all these kind of stuff. And I can tell you with complete honesty before God, that we were happy through all those circumstances. We were. Because our joy and our peace doesn't come from our circumstances. I mean, nobody likes crappy circumstances. I hate it. I like it when things go good. I vote for good. But when things go bad, my joy is not sucked away from my heart because my joy doesn't come from my circumstances. It comes from God. So some of you who are freaking out, ready to throw in the towel, and you can't take it anymore, you need a reality check. Stop. Okay? It doesn't, and here's the thing, even if your circumstances never change, if your circumstances right now, whatever it is, never changes, you can still be happy. That's the glory of the cross. Because Jesus made it possible for us to rise above any of our circumstances. Again, that's why we're just passing through this place. This is not our home. Our home is yet to come. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Right now, the Bible says. If that's not your train of thought, the problem is you're not in heaven in your thoughts. Your problem is you're stuck down here in your lousy circumstances. Break out of it. Okay? So, anyway, to recap today's messages. Number one, Jesus taught us that we have to live in the world that we live in and we got to deal with it. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Also, don't forget to give to God what is God's. And to always remember that God's word is true no matter what crazy little 
funny, strange scenarios people like to try and think up in their heads. And then the little addendum, learn to be happy, okay? Don't worry, be happy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your truth. Help us to grow in our faith. And Lord, above all, this is the last thing that I shared. Help people to understand that they can be more than conquerors in Christ. That no matter what their circumstances, the wonderful thing is if we will connect with you, we can be filled with joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Even if the world hates us, even if they come and take everything we own, even if they despise us, even if they take our very lives from us, we can still experience the glorious joy of knowing God in Christ. Because ultimately, Lord, our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the life to come. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Bless you. Amen.